You guys may be seated. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today, and uh, I would encourage you to, uh, to follow along and to, um, to make some notes as we go along, because I think that what we'll talk about today is something that can, uh, can be a great benefit to all of us, and uh, it's a reminder that Jesus offers and issues to us that uh, reminds us of really what we're supposed to, to be about. Uh, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, Jesus has been dealing with false teachings. Uh, he would say, you have, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you, and he's been correcting those false teachings over the last several weeks. Uh, today, he kind of turns inward. He begins to expose the, the heart, the, the motives behind what we do. And so, as Jesus turns inward, he begins to say that, that even righteous acts can be done for unrighteous motives. Uh, so we can do the right things, but we can do them for the wrong reasons. And so here in Matthew chapter 6, he's going to issue a stern warning. Um, and I believe this warning comes with eternal consequences. He gives us three examples today over the next 17 verses that will uh, unpack what he's going to say in verse 1. So I want us to jump right in and look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. And Jesus issues this warning. He says, be careful. Uh, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. For if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, I need to say this up front. When he talks about this this phrase, your Father in heaven, he's speaking to a crowd now. None of these guys are believers yet. They're all Jews that are are searching, but Christ, he hasn't died. They're, They're not really believers and followers in Christ. But the Jews considered God to be their Father in heaven. And so when he's making this comment, he's doing it in a general sense, not in a specific salvation sense. And so he's talking to a, a crowd that, that he is laying out for them the vision of what his kingdom's going to look like, what the citizens of his kingdom will, will be like. And, and he's just using this phrase saying, hey, look, the, the, the one true God that you say you worship, this is the God that, that hands out rewards. And so I want you to be careful that you're not doing your acts of righteousness before men in order to be seen by them. Because if that's your motive, then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So the warning is avoid this. Be careful. Don't do this. Avoid it at all costs. And and not to do these righteous acts to be seen by men. Now, he's not saying we shouldn't do righteous acts. Uh, we know that we are. We're, we're called to, to do things and to serve people and to love people and to be a part of the work that God's doing in this world. He, he's not saying don't do acts of righteousness, but he's saying here that we shouldn't do them in order to be seen by men. Now here's the kicker. He's going straight for the heart. He's looking at our motives. And he's saying, examine why you're doing what you're doing. Now what Jesus is saying here may sound like it contradicts what he said back in chapter 5 where he said that we were the light of the world. And he says in the same way, in verse 16, in the same way let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So here he's saying don't do these things to be seen, but back in Matthew 5 he's saying shine your light in such a way that people can see your good deeds. But the difference is what follows that. He says in, in Matthew 5, don't, don't do these deeds uh, or do your deeds in a way that men can see them, but they end up praising God for what you've done, not praising you. In Matthew chapter 6, he's saying, be careful that what you do is not done with the motive of being seen so that you get the praise and so that you get the glory. So he, he's not contradicting himself here. He's saying we need to make sure that our motives are pure and that when we do the things that we do, we're doing them so that God can get the glory. So his warning here in Matthew chapter 6 is be careful. 
Because if we do things for the wrong motives, then we forfeit the reward that could be ours. Uh, if we could summarize what Jesus is going to say, it would be summarized here in this first verse. And, and basically a, a sermon in, in a sentence would be, we can do the right things for the wrong motives. And when we do, we forfeit the real reward. So even our outward acts, even if they're righteous acts, things that God's word would command or instruct us to do, if they're done without the proper motives, they'll never produce the reward that God intends. So what is the proper motive? I think the proper motive for what you and I do is to bring glory and honor and praise to God, not to ourselves. Uh, he's going to use three common examples to illustrate his point. He's going to talk about giving and praying and fasting. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. These are three things that were very common in that day, three things that the Pharisees would, would put a lot of emphasis on. And so Jesus is going to use those three things, praying and, and giving and fasting. And he's going to say, in, in anything that you do, this is to be the attitude and the motive behind it. But he's going to use these three things as examples of, of what we are to, to do and how we are to do it and the motive by which we are to go about it. So these, these warnings will extend to anything, any acts of righteousness that you and I are called to do. Now, the first example is about giving to those in need. In Matthew 6, 2 through 4, he says, When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues and on the streets. And look why they do it. They do it to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. So here Jesus is saying, when you do something, when you're giving to those in need, that's a great act of, of righteousness. That's the thing that God calls us to do. You see a need and you go meet it. But he says, don't do it like the hypocrites do it, for they, they announce it with trumpets. They want all the attention on themselves. And so they announce it with trumpets in the synagogues and on the streets, but they do it and their motive is here to be honored by men. And Jesus says, they have their reward. They, they want the honor of men, they've got the honor of men, but that's all that they're going to get. And it says in verse 3, but when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So again, Jesus is looking at the, at the motives. And when you and I give to be honored by men, their honor is our reward, and that's it, no more. We've sought after self-glorification. We want people to look at us and say, wow, what a generous person. And that is our reward and no more. In seeking their reward, we forfeit the reward of God. In seeking their attention and their praise and their admiration, we forfeit the rewards that God would give to us. Now, it was a common practice in that day for them to announce their giving, to make sure that others knew how generous they were. And so in doing that, they were drawing attention to themselves. And, and Jesus says that's never been God's intention. God's purpose for our giving was that we would bring God glory, not ourselves glory. So Jesus warns us here to check our motive for our giving. In other words, we need to be gut-wrenching honest. This is not easy to do. In fact, it's not going to be done in, in a 30-minute message, in a 30-minute time together. If we're going to really do this, we're going to have to go home and spend some time by ourselves and ask ourselves and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us why we're doing the things that we're doing. Many, if not all of us, do nice things for other people, but why do we do those things? Why is it that we are doing the things that we are doing? 
If we're doing it for our glory, then God says that's all you get. If we're honestly doing it for God's glory, then there's reward that will come. So we've got to ask, who are we doing what we're doing for, ourselves or for God? If we're doing it for God, then he says, give quietly, give discreetly, give in a God-honoring way. You don't need to announce it. You don't need to do it in a way that you're going to get the attention. Do it in a way that God would get the attention. So here's the promise. He says, God will see what's done in secret, and he will reward it. And God's rewards are better than man's rewards. God will see in secret. In other words, God will see the secret place of your heart, your motives, and he will know why you're doing what you're doing. Can't fool God. Listen, here's the thing about motives. The thing about motives is, is that it's hidden from the public eye. So I may can fool you about why I'm doing what I'm doing, and I may can fool the world about why I'm doing what I'm doing, but I can't fool God because he sees in the secret place. And he knows what's going on deep within my heart. And he will award, reward accordingly. Now here's something to remember. God, man's applause will soon fall silent. But God's rewards will last for eternity. So I've got to decide what I'm going after, what my motives really are in this. And so Jesus calls givers who give for man's applause hypocrites. Well, what's, what's hypocritical about that? What's hypocritical about giving to somebody and, 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 and wanting some applause back? Well, here, here's what's hypocritical. They're, they're pretending to give out a concern for others. Oh, there's a, there's a poor guy. I think I'm going to pull somebody out of my wallet. I'm going to help that poor guy. Here's somebody broken down on the side of the road. <coughs> I'm going to stop and help that person. And, and we're pretending to do it out of concern for that person. But the reality is... I'm selfish. I'm wanting some attention back. I'm wanting some kudos. I'm wanting you to think better of me. I'm wanting you to to, to praise me and to tell others about me. And so I pretend to be concerned about you, but the reality is I'm concerned about myself. And that's a hypocrite. They pretend to be generous, but they're actually living very selfish. Now, the second example he uses here is about praying. He said, I want you to check your motives when you pray. Verse 5. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. Again, note their motives here. What does Jesus say their motives were? They want to be seen by men. They're hypocrites. But because they're not praying to be heard by God, they're praying to be heard by men. And they're taking something that God created to be an intimate relationship with him, and they're using it for their own good. They're using it for their own attention. They're, they're, they're not praying to be heard by God. They're praying to be heard by men. That's why their words had to be lofty, and their word, their prayers had to be long, and their prayers went on and on and on because they wanted to show men how religious and how holy that they were. Their prayers were simply performances, seeking the applause of men and not the glory of God. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a story about a, a Pharisee and a, and a tax collector that, that both went to the temple to pray. And, and, and while we don't have Pharisees and tax collectors, we could probably substitute and say it was a preacher and a prostitute. 
And immediately when you introduce this and you say, well, there's a tax collector and, 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 a, and, and, a, and a Pharisee and they're going to pray, in, in everyone's mind in that crowd, they would have known who would have been heard that day. Not the tax collector. He's pagan. God's not going to listen to him. God's going to listen to the Pharisee. And Jesus says, no, no, it's just the opposite. Look at what he says here in Luke chapter 18. He says the, the Pharisee, when he got there to pray, the Pharisee stood by himself and, and, and he prayed. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers and evildoers and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Where's the attention going? One one translation says the, 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 the Pharisee prayed about himself. Where's his attention? Right here. God, I thank you that I'm not like all other men. What's he saying? I'm above all other men. I'm better than all other men. I thank you that I'm, I'm not this, this murderer or robber or evildoer or adulterer. I'm not even like this tax collector, traitor dude. But, but look what he, he goes on to say. He says, I fast twice a week. And I give a, a tenth, a tithe of all I get. So what's he talking about here? He's praying And talking about his fasting and talking about his giving. The three things Jesus is talking about back here in Matthew. And he's focused on himself and how righteous he is. Verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. But he just beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. One is a lofty prayer. One is a humble prayer prayer and Jesus sets the hook verse 14 says I tell you that this man the tax collector the pagan he went home justified before God for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but he who humbles himself will be exalted here's the teaching of Jesus not what you would expect. It's not the lofty words. It's not the, 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 the flowing sentences. It's not the telling God and, and the crowd everything that you've done and how righteous you are. Jesus says that is self-glorification. That is not God-glorification. Jesus says if you want the applause of men, you've got it, but nothing else. So Matthew 6, 6 through 8, he says, but, but when you do pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father. It's not a performance, but it's sincere. Pray to your father who is unseen. And then your father who sees what's done in secret. In other words, he sees your true motives of your heart. He hears the cry of your heart. He sees the humility in your heart. Because you're not performing for men, but you're being honest with God. He sees what's done in secret. He sees your motives. Then he will reward you. By the way, we ought to say right here, That simply praying in private does not assure that you're praying with the right motives, right? We've all prayed in private and prayed selfishly. God, I'm sick. I need you to make me well right now. God, I'm struggling. I want you to fix my problem. God, you know, God, I want you to help me to look good today. I want you to help me succeed today. And, and, And it's okay for us to ask for God's help in things. But sometimes we get selfish even in our private prayer. But it's, it's easier to be honest with God in private than it is in public. 
And so he says, get alone with God where you're not tempted to perform. And you can actually hear back from God in those moments. In verse 7, he says, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. These Pharisees would pray these long, lofty prayers. And they thought the longer that they could pray the more more impressive that they were. And Jesus says, don't keep babbling like pagans do. They think they'll be heard for the many words, but don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. Think about that. Jesus' words remind me of this story of Elijah in the Old Testament where he got the showdown with the prophets of Baal, and he's on Mount Carmel, and and, and, and they're gathered together, and, and, and as they're there, they're... They're getting ready for this, this showdown, and, and the deal was this. We're both going to pray. You guys pray to your God, and I'm going to pray to the true God. And whichever God answers by fire, he is the real God. And so it says in 1 Kings chapter 18, it says uh, in verse 26, So they took the bull given to them, this is the prophets of Baal, and they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. O Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. And so they shouted even louder. And they slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until the blood flowed. And midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time of the evening sacrifice. They were putting on a show. They were doing everything they could to try to get the attention of their God. And then the saddest statement in the story is this. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Now you compare that with what Jesus just said in Matthew, that your father knows what you need even before you ask. We have a God that is willing and ready to respond and to reward us. We don't need to put on a show. We don't need to, to have a secret formula. We don't need to, 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 to try to impress other people. We just need to be alone with the Lord and let him speak. And so you know the rest of the story with Elijah. That Elijah steps up. The, these guys, God's not responding. There, there's no response. No one answered and no one paid attention. Elijah steps up and says, okay, God. He had the altar soaked once, twice, Three times until all the wood was wet and there was a trough around it that was filled with water. And he asked God to display his glory. And the Bible says that fire fell and God was glorified. And you think, well, man, wasn't Elijah showing off? Wasn't Elijah trying to get the attention of men? Wasn't Elijah trying to make a name for himself that he was the prophet of the day? And we might would think that if, if the rest of this story didn't show us his true motives. In 1824 here, in verse 18, chapter 18, verse 24, it says, You guys call upon the name of your God, and I will call on the name of my Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he's the God. Where's the attention? Upon the God that answers. 
And all the people said, well, what you say is good. Then in in verse 36 to 39, we really get a glimpse of of his true motives here. He says, at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward. And this was his prayer. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. What's he doing? He's humbling himself before God. God, this is about you. It's not about me. You're the God. I'm just the servant. And I have done all the things that you have commanded. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God. Listen to his motives. Lord, let them know that you're God and that you're turning their hearts back again. And then the fire of the Lord fell, and it burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and it licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate before the Lord, and they cried, Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. There is a way, guys, for us to serve in a way that God gets the glory, to do the work that God's called us to do, but do it the way that he gets the credit and that he gets the glory. And Elijah shows us how to do that. So how do we pray in a way that God gets glory? I think Jesus shows us in this passage. Matthew chapter 6, again, verse 9 through 15. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What's he saying? Lord, I want to live in a way that that hallows your name, that glorifies your name, that lifts you up. I want to live in that way. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are you saying? My desire is for your kingdom. My desire is for your will. My desire is for your glory right here, right now. Give us this day our daily bread. Teach me, God, to glorify you by depending upon you for all that I need. Forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. What's he saying? Can I bring you glory, God, just by, Lord, let me me bring you glory (coughs) by forgiving others the way that you've forgiven me. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, deliver me from the temptation to perform. Deliver me from the temptation, God, of making myself greater than you for me robbing your glory and stealing from you. Deliver me from those temptations. And he goes on to say, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Why? Because that's a mark of a believer. Our prayers are to be God-glorifying, not self-glorifying. Our heart's desire ought to be to bring God glory and not ourselves glory. And that desire should be reflected even in the intimate moments of prayer. That we pray and we say, God, let me bring you glory. Whatever comes and whatever I'm encountering, let me bring you glory. So in sickness, we might would pray and say, Lord, I'm sick and I'd love to get well. But Lord, if this illness can be used by you to bring you glory, then your will be done. In the trials that I face, God, this is not much fun. And God, I don't enjoy going through trials. But Lord, if there's a way that you can use this trial, my desire is to bring you glory even through the trials of life. Help me to respond in a way that will bring glory to you and not just attention to myself. In our persecution, God, I don't enjoy 
being attacked. I don't enjoy going through persecution, but God, my desire is to glorify you. So help me to respond to the persecutor the way that Jesus would respond. What about facing death? We did that study on the life of Paul and saw, man, that every single turn Paul faced death. And Paul would say, Lord, if my death can bring you glory, I'm ready. I'm ready. So whether it's sickness or persecution or trials or death or any other thing that we encounter, we ought to be looking for the way, how do I use this moment to bring God glory? When people look and watch and see me go through this, they they shouldn't say, wow, look at Rob. They ought to look and say, you know what? God's grace is, is incredible. God's strength is made perfect in the midst of our weaknesses. They ought to be able to look at how we respond to things and see the face and the hand of God. The third example he gives us here is the example of how we should fast, our motives when we fast. Again, nothing wrong with fasting whatsoever, but Jesus challenges their motives. In chapter 6, verse 16, he says, When you fast, don't look somber like the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. What's their motive? What's their motive? Look at me. Look at me. And what would they do? They would disfigure their faces and they would... You look tired today. I'm I'm not tired. I'm just fasting because I'm spiritual and I'm seeking the Lord. Well, if I was really spiritual and if I was really seeking the Lord, I wouldn't need to tell you about that. What I'm really seeking in that moment, if if I'm sharing this with the world, is I'm really seeking your applause or your admiration. And so he says, they disfigure their faces to show men they're fasting. And I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. If you're after the applause of men, that's all you get. Now he calls them hypocrites. Why? Because their motive was to be seen by men and not to see God. They wanted to appear to be a seeker of God, but in reality they were seekers of men. They wanted to look spiritual, but not be spiritual. It's the whole thing of image versus character. And Jesus says, if you want man's attention, you got it. But you're not going to get anything else. There's a better way to do this, Jesus says. Verse 17 18. So when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it'll not be obvious to men that you're fasting. In other words, do what you do every day. If you get up in the morning and you shave and you brush your teeth and you comb your hair, when you're fasting, do the same thing. Don't let it be obvious but by your outward appearance that, that you're spending time fasting. That's looking for man's applause. And Jesus says that's the wrong motive. Put oil on your head, wash your face, so there not be obvious to men you're fasting, but only to your father. He's the only one that needs to know. And your father who is unseen, and your father who sees what's done in secret. In other words, he sees the real motive of your heart. He will reward you. Guys, listen, three examples. 
In all three areas, we can hide that motive so well. But you know your motive. And, and God knows your motive. And Jesus is saying here, do everything that you do for the glory of God, not the attention of man. Why? Because the applause of man falls silent. But God's rewards will last throughout eternity. So we can do the right things for the wrong motives and we forfeit any lasting reward. So we ought to ask ourselves questions like this. Do I give in order to get something back? Or do I give to give God glory? Do I pray so I can let others see how righteous and holy I am? Or do I pray because I want to seek the face of God? Am I praying to gain glory or am I praying to give glory? Am I fasting to improve my image in the public? Or am I praying and fasting to change my character? You see, guys, skipping a meal might make you skinny, but it'll never make you holy. That's not the purpose. The purpose is to make us holy. So why do we do any of the things that we do? Why do we do our acts of righteousness? The things that Scripture calls us to do, why do we do those things? That's the real question. Do I have a quiet time so I can tell other people, man, I had a quiet time? Just kind of drop the line. Well, today I was reading in the book of Habakkuk. Oh, that sounds impressive. Is that why I'm having a quiet time? If I'm having a quiet time so that I can impress other people, that's the wrong motive for having a quiet time. So do I have a quiet time just so I can tell others? Do I have a quiet time because I hunger and I thirst for more of him? Do I attend church because it looks good and it's part of society's expectation? Or do I attend church because I want to give God the glory that he is due? You see, we've got to look at our motives for all the different things that we do. Do I help people so they'll think great of me? Do I help people because, you know, if I scratch their back, they're going to scratch my back? Or do I do it because God's called me to that and that gives him glory when we are his hands and his feet to a world that's hurting? So why do we do the things we do? That may be the most difficult question that we have to ask ourselves. But it's an important question that we ask because our motives are hidden from public view and, and, and it's easy for us to disguise, but God sees it and God rewards it accordingly. This week as I've worked on this message and God's worked on my heart, I've had to ask the question, why do I do what I do? How much of the ministry that I've done over the last 35 years has been to make a name for myself versus bringing God glory? How many of those things that I pat myself on the back for doing have really been just to make people think well of me? Because if that was my motive, those rewards, they're not there. This is sobering to think you could live your whole life doing good things, doing godly things, and miss the reward that God intends for you. Anything that we do for a reason other than God's glory misses the mark. When we live for our own glory, that's called self-glorification. I want to glorify myself. 
And we make ourselves out to be our own God. And the Bible calls that idolatry. We may not say it with our words, but we say it with our heart that we are worthy of praise. That we are worthy of applause. That we are worthy of your admiration. And I believe it's only when our desire for righteousness exceeds our desire for the praise of men that we'll really begin to examine our hearts. It's only in those moments. So Jesus warns us here. He says, be warned. Be careful. Impure motives are costly. They can cost you eternal rewards. So if my motivation, if I'm motivated by fear, of the, the, the fear of being rejected by men, or if I'm motivated by fame, the, the, the desire to be accepted and, and, and promoted by men, or if I'm motivated by power in order to exercise control over people, then that's my reward. And there's nothing more to be expected from God. I can live my life develop a reputation of righteousness, do all things good and right, and still be spiritually bankrupt. In fact, I can do all those things right and still be lost because our motives matter. Our appearances can be deceiving, and and this righteous reputation can be nothing more than just a covering for my spiritual bankruptcy. My acts of righteousness can simply be a platform for self-promotion. So how do we know our true motives? The Holy Spirit's got to make that known to us, first of all. He's the one that searches the depths of our hearts. But there's some practical things that you and I could do that would help us to know what our real motives are. The next time you do a, a righteous act, you serve somebody, and... They don't respond with thank you and appreciation and man, you're awesome and I got to tell the world what you've done. The next time that happens and you don't get the response that you want, you ought to ask yourself the question, why am I doing this for a response? Why am I doing, well, they just ought to be grateful, but, but, but why? Are you doing it for them or are you doing it for God? Did God see it? Absolutely. Has God promised to reward it? Absolutely, if my motives are right. But, but, but the next time I do something for somebody and I don't get the response from them that I was going after, then that tells me I was going after the wrong thing. Are we right? That, that's a good test. If, if I do it and I'm disappointed because, well, man, they didn't respond the way that I wanted them to respond, then maybe I wasn't doing it for the Lord. Maybe I was doing it for the applause of man. And I was disappointed because the applause of man was not all that I thought that it should be. Here's something else I learned about myself this week. And maybe you can relate to this. Maybe you can't. But a lot of times, when I do things for God's glory, I tend to forget those things. You may have had this happen to you where you serve somebody. And, and you just do it and you move on and you just keep going and you don't think much of it. And years later, they'll come back and say, that day that you did so-and-so was a game changer for me. It, 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 I've never forgotten that moment. And you're going, I don't even remember that. 
You kind of go, okay, yeah, thanks, great. And you're going, I don't remember that at all. The things I do for the glory of God, I, I tend to forget. You know why? Because I don't need to remember them. God's got that. But on the other side of that coin, the things that I do to gain glory for myself, I remember those things. And I'm going to tell you about them. I remember them so I can rehearse them so we can drop the lines about what we did. As pastors, we're, we're kind of guilty of this a lot. Well, the sermon this morning may be a little off, but it was because I was at the hospital with brother so-and-so at 3.30 in the morning last night. So y'all just be gracious toward me. What am I saying? I'm the great pastor. I was at the hospital. How many pastors go to the hospital at 3.30 in the morning? Well, I, I do. And we drop those lines in a, in a way that we think disguises our motives. But in reality, what we're saying, I want you to think good of me. And we remember those things and we retell them. And many times we retell them 15 years later. Why? Because we're still seeking the glory and the applause of man. The things I do for God's glory, I don't, I don't tend to remember. The things I do for my glory, I, I lock those in and I want to retell them again and again and again. I think we see this in Matthew chapter 25, evidence of this anyway, in Matthew 25, verses 33 through 40. It's the story of Jesus separating the sheep from the goats. At the end of time, Jesus is going to separate the sheep from the goat, the believers from the unbelievers. And he's separating the sheep from the goats, and it says in verse 33, he puts the sheep on his right, the goats on his left, and look at this. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom that's prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. There's an act of righteousness. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink, an act of righteousness. I was a stranger, and you invited me in, an act of righteousness. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. There's an act of righteousness. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Acts of righteousness these people did. And then the righteous will answer him. Look at this. Lord, when? When? Three different times, the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? Lord, when did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? Lord, when did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? It's amazing to me that they don't remember, but God does. You see, the things we do for the glory of God, we don't tend to remember. God gives us the opportunity, we step through the door, we meet the need, and we move on. We don't need to remember, because God is the one remembering. And the king will reply to them, verse 40, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these, the least, somebody who couldn't repay you, who couldn't elevate you, who who didn't have the platform or the voice to, to tell the world everything that you've done, you did it for the least When you did it for the least, with that pure motive, you did it for me, for God's glory. Verse 34 above, it it says the reward. The king will say to them, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. What's their inheritance? It's the kingdom that God prepared for them since the creation of the world. Our reward is being a citizen in his kingdom. Our our reward is, is, is that we were able to give him glory and to continue to give him glory for all of eternity. Now, I need you to think about this for just a moment. We, we sometimes get 
I think, weird ideas about rewards in heaven. That I'm going to have a bigger house than you have, or a bigger crown than you have, or I'm going to, and we just take the earthly junk and try to put that in heaven and multiply it out. But think about this. If my motive for doing acts of righteousness, in other words, my deepest desire for doing these acts of righteousness is to bring God glory. If that's my true motive. And I do those acts of righteousness and God gets glory. Have I not just received my reward? If what I desire more, in other words, I'm not doing this to get an extra jewel in my crown. I'm not doing this so that I get a bigger house in heaven. I'm not doing this so that man will applaud me, but I'm doing this because I want my life to bring God glory. And if in doing that it brings God glory, then the desire of my heart was just met. And that's the reward. The reward is the fact that you and I get to bring God glory through the things that we do. My heart gets its deepest desire when the glory of God is displayed. If that's my true motive. His glory is our reward because he is our reward. Heaven's not about bigger crowns and more stuff and bigger mansions. The reward of heaven, guys, is God being in his presence and bringing him glory every moment of every day. You see, heaven's built around God. It's not built around us. His glory is all that matters. So when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What we're saying is this, Lord, may you be glorified right here, right now. May you be glorified in me and through me and the things that I do. Just as we're going to glorify you for all of eternity, God, I want to glorify you right now. I want your kingdom to come now. I want your will to be done here, just as it's going to be done in heaven. And heaven is all about the glory of God. So, Lord, I want everything I do to be all about the glory of God. You see, the glory of God should not and cannot be reserved for eternity. It's our purpose right now. It's why God's put us here, to bring him glory in all that we do. This is why it's such a big deal when we get into self-glorification. When we get into trying to get the applause of men. This is why it's such a huge deal. Because when I desire the glory that is due to God alone, even if it's through an act of righteousness, then I'm standing opposed to God. I am stealing his glory. I am making myself his equal in my mind. I think that I'm equally deserving of his praise and his glory. So I, you know, well, yeah, I know that God should get some glory, but you know what? I I need a little glory too. I, I did good. And we're robbing God of his glory. We're competing with God for that glory. And I'm living outside the realm of God's reward when that happens. And Jesus says, you may get man's applause, but you'll never get God's with a motive like that. So his glory must be the motivator of all that we do. Again, Jesus is defining the true citizens of his kingdom. This is what this passage is all about. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, this, this Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is defining what the citizens of his kingdom will be like. And, and what Jesus does here is he's defining what the citizens will be like. And he's saying it's not those that perform great acts of righteousness in order to gain a self-centered praise of men. But it's those who live for God's glory. That's the definition of what a believer is. 
Matthew chapter 7, this is where the sermon is headed. At the end of Matthew 7 is the, is the summation of the sermon. Let me take you there today and show you how it ties in with 5 and 6, okay? Jesus, is, this sermon is always coming to this conclusion. And, and in Matthew 7, here's the conclusion. In 721, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the issue of salvation. This is who's going to be with the Lord forever. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord. In other words, they're, 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 they've got this show... They've got the right words, but not all of them are going to enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father. What's God's will? That you and I bring him glory. So not everyone who, who, who talks glorious is, is seeking God's glory. Not, not only those who do the will of my Father, they're living for God's glory, not for man's applause. That ought to make you stop and think just for a minute. Who am I living my life for? And, and, and who's the kingdom of heaven for? And if those don't line up, I need to do some real soul searching. Many will say to me on that day, verse 22, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? There's an act of righteousness. And in your name drive out demons? That's a big act of righteousness. And perform many miracles? Lord, did we not perform did we not do some impressive acts of righteousness? Oh, by the way, yeah, I built a pretty big name for myself. Everybody knows me. Did we not do that? And then he will tell them plainly, I never knew you. You weren't one of mine that lived for my glory. And in fact, you just used me to make a name for yourself. Away from me, you evildoers. What's he saying? Their acts of righteousness were actually acts of evil because they were used for self-promotion and not for God promotion. Hear the warning of Scripture here, guys. Who we live for now reveals where we will live forever. If your life is religious but it's self-promoting, then you're making yourself out to be the God deserving of that glory. And the reward of God, which is himself, don't expect it. Don't expect it. Those who live for God will live eternally with God. But those who live for themselves will never see heaven. Citizens of heaven live for God's glory, not for man's applause. Their desire is for the activity of heaven to be the activity of their life. Now, none of us get this right all the time, do we? None of us. But this is ought to be what we strive for, guys, is to bring God glory through our lives. And this is not possible apart from a saving relationship with Jesus. Uh, you, you make him be moral, you make it even appear righteous, but you can't live for God's glory apart from God's grace. Our natural hearts will never submit to God on their own. In fact, Scripture says that we resist him at every turn. So only God can give us the new heart that, sings to, that seeks to bring him glory. And in this process, Jesus shows us why we so desperately need him as our Savior. Perhaps we need to do some soul searching. Perhaps we need to honestly examine why we're doing what we're doing. Because that seems to have an impact on all of eternity. Are we doing things to make a name for ourselves or to bring God glory? Are we trying to prove our worthiness 
Or are we busy proclaiming his worthiness? Are we trying to get others to love us more or to love God more? Now, unlike Jesus, we can't look into each other's hearts and we can't examine each other's motives. In fact, it's only by God's grace that we can even understand our own motives. But we need, as the people of God, for God to look deep in our hearts and to see our motives for what we do and why we do it. And we need to ask God to help us to see what he sees and to ask him for the grace that we need to make the changes that need to be made. Our motives matter. Our reward is him. And he says, if your motives are wrong, you should not expect to receive any reward from the Father. If you're living for man's applause, enjoy it while you're here. One day it will end. And it will be over. And that's all you get. But if you live for the glory of God, that reward will last eternally. Jesus is talking to a group, guys, that's not so unlike us. Very religious. On the outside, looking really, really good. And Jesus takes a knife and just cuts through all that and says, let's look at the heart. And that's what we need for God to do with us today. It's not just about our appearances. It's not just about what others say about us. It's about the motive behind what we do and why we do what we do. Those who live for themselves make themselves out to be their own God. And there's no reward from God. But motives motives matter. And I can't examine yours and you can't examine mine. But by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit can examine us all. And he can help us to begin to make those changes that we need to make in order that our lives be pleasing to him. That's all I got. But I think it's worth thinking about today. And I think it's worth us examining our hearts. Guys, listen. Live your whole life and stand before the Lord the way they did in Matthew chapter 7. And the Lord say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. But Lord, wait a minute, I, I did acts of righteousness. And he says, I never knew you. Your heart was never set on me. Your heart was on making a name for yourself. What a tragic thing. Let's, let's don't go there. Let's pray.